Welcome to the complete Kishlovsky episode four. This is camera buff, and uh, we were going to do camera buff right after the scar, but we didn't. We did the calm, and it was great. I had a good time. Did you have a good time, Travis? I enjoyed it very much. I enjoyed uh-huh. talking to Mark Herney about it, and I'm glad that we did it in the order we deci- finally decided upon because. Um, I think there's a definite progression here, so I'm very happy about that. Yeah, I mean, it almost feels like a sequel, doesn't it? <laughs> it really does. It's 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 a continuation of this man's life. It's very nice. Yeah, so we'll, we'll get into that, but um, first we want to welcome our guest. Our guest is Will Remmers. Uh, Will, have you considered having Mark in one of your operas? I feel like, you know, he could really hit those low notes that you're looking for. I think there are a lot of operas that have narrator type persons. Does Mark sing or is he just a, like a low speaker who would need to have a sonorous voice throughout the theater? Yeah, I think you, he could probably just talk and you could auto tune it into something pretty special. I don't know. A, I don't know how opera works. Is that there's, well, there's a lot of auto tune in opera, right? Um, you know, you're not so far off in that. Uh, I, it's it's like not a genre of music anymore because it's. I mean, it never really was, right. but pe- people assume it's a genre. But the genre they assume is classical era or romantic yeah. era opera. Right. And but nowadays there's a, there's so much contemporary things that are called opera that use electronics to such a wide degree that I don't see why we can't do an auto tuned podcast. Yeah rumble voice npr guy opera well it's like how in Bro- like when people think of broadway musicals it's like hey there how you doing today <laughs> no no I, I don't think of that can you repeat <laughs> it again <laughs> i mean that's what they thought of 40 years ago i mean i think when i think of broadway shows now and i think of, Hamilton, oh I how, you da, 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 yeah. uh, how you doing today like i think it's like, that's how they greet it's, it's more of how it goes but, but um, isn't it it's hamilton right so it's like ha, 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 how you doing today but then it's like oh, no. in like That's colonial Fred times. Schneider. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, who are you, Will Remmers? Tell tell the audience a little bit about yourself. I'm Will Remmers. <laughs> That's all you need to know. I, well, I like to um, to see a lot of movies, and I do a lot of um, performing and opera work, and make movie type things from time to time. But mostly, my interest in movies is as a watcher, reader, about her, um, liker of her, talker with her type person. And, You're not a um, uh, amateur filmmaker? You don't have an 8mm that you are Okay, well, around. so then, I mean, this movie spoke to me on a deep level because I just made an amateur movie that was filming random stuff. So I, uh, I really, well, I really like camera buff, but... That's that's because that's the premise of, of the episode. Um, <laughs> we will get to camera buff eventually, <laughs> so, but, I promise. But, We're going to do thirty more minutes on uh, Broadway musicals, but after that, we'll do we'll do something about Kieślowski, I assume. That would be good, but yeah. So that's mo- mostly my thing. Is is uh, people people know that I do a lot of opera, and I run an opera company in New York City, and that's my main pastime. I also teach music and write music and, and compose and record and stuff and. Uh, so I think, you know, film, I mean, I have a double major in film and music, and I like to bandy between the two, but um, mostly I'm conducting orchestras these days, or conducting opera performances. Great. Yeah. Well, well, which, we, uh, we do fun. enjoy uh, your appearances on Reflection, so we thought it would be fun to uh, get you on here. I'm glad we, we hit you on a movie that uh, 
that you like. Yeah, it's. I was really glad too, uh, because <laughs> I. I mean, I don't think that I have a, a a strong opinion on this director that is consistent. Yeah. Um, Tell us more, Will. I here I go. So, so our boy um, Kieslowski, Kieslowski, um, <laughs> uh, Kobolowski. He. I think the K is silent. Oh, Kieslowski. <laughs> He, I, I mean, I usually pride myself in being pretty good at pronouncing pronouncing uh, French and Italian and German, and I'm just out to lunch with Polish, which is bad because it's my um, largest nationality percentage is, is Poland. But I, uh, I ought to go back someday. Anyway, um, this was my best friend in high school's favorite filmmaker when we were in high school and just getting into art house cinema and international cinema as as like the two kids in high school that were gonna be the kids that got into it, and. He was very obsessed with Double Life and The Three Colors, and he, he uh, suggested, he's like, you got to see this guy. This guy's the, 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 the tits, and um, Titslovsky. And so with, um, with, it's not worth it. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, that one, that one caught me off guard, buddy. <laughs> um, so, um, so I saw The Three Colors. I rented them from the library, and... I, my, my takes on them was that blue and red were um, meandering, overwrought, and boring. Mind, I'm 17 in this take. Um, meandering, overwrought, and boring. And white was a blast. Um, I think that it, I was thinking about it being lighter appealed to me and it being like a dark comedy sort of vibe appealed to me. But I've not actually seen any of those films since I was 17. Hmm. So I've... And I have the Blu-rays now, and I've been meaning to get back to them because I know that I'll have a more nuanced opinion and will enjoy the experience of revisiting them, even if I find that they're not films that speak to me now as an adult. Uh, I'm looking forward to that, and I'll probably wait until you're just about up to those to um, to crack into them, so that I can listen along as I uh, rewatch them. But that's all I ever ended up seeing of those. Uh, then later in life. As an adult, I finally got to Decalogue just after Criterion put it out. And um, though I regret that I watched it at the frame rate that made it longer because it took more of my life away, <laughs> I, I really, really liked it as an over, overarching experience. Though I think there were two or three of the episodes individually that I didn't think were entirely successful. Its high points for me were, were very, very high. And I was very glad to watch it. I thought it was very beautiful and very well paced and a great experience. Then I saw Double Life in the past couple of months and I really disliked it. I saw that, yeah. I, 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 had, a, I had a lot of issues with it. I was a bit offended by it in, in a few ways too. But I know that this is not the kind of thing that even as an adult I'm allowed to just you know have an objective thought about until I've seen it two, three times. I mean, even, even in the slightest inkling. Um, it's it's naive to say that like without knowing where the film is headed i can really understand why the film begins the way it does especially with somebody like like you look at a film like decalogue um which has so much in it that you would appreciate if you watch the 10 hours twice uh, characters reappearing as a very surface level um observation but also thematic relationships that would emerge as you would recognize them going backwards uh, but there was there was like i said there were aspects of all of these things that have appealed to me 
and uh, I was very glad to to hit upon camera buff because I think for me it, it lined up a lot with um, what I remember liking about white um, and also it lined up a lot with why I liked the final part of Decalogue so much as a as like a final cherry on top of that depression pie I uh, really really loved that ending which I won't won't spoil if you if you haven't seen it but it's it's a it's a terrific final uh, ending um, so yeah that's my relationship with him is it's a, it's a bit touch and go and I, I think I've been a bit hesitant to, to dive back in and and know a bit more about him considering his reputation I think there might be something about him that doesn't click with me maybe there's something about him that sometimes feels too on the nose or or, or too about certain visual aspects but I didn't think that any of that was necessarily true with this film and I think I might really want to pursue more of these early works which uh, I haven't seen any other of I think yeah well really I think that's a good uh, go ahead Travis I was about to say I think you'd really like personnel a lot then because I yeah. think that that fits right into this type of theme and thematic and the uh, backs in the uh, the place where it's set against which is the theater is uh, is really compelling because it uh you know it speaks to probably a lot of your as well as my uh, background and what you know so it's it's a lot of fun yeah and I, I think I mean I think all four of these movies are pretty on the nose there's definitely um, it they don't hide their um, overarching themes or um, philosophical explorations to e- even a slight degree but I think there's there's enough going on and uh i mean especially in this movie he comes at it from so many different angles uh the 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 subjects and issues that he's addressing um that there's there's plenty to unpack even though you know i think it's pretty straightforward what he's after in this movie um but before we get to to this one um i did want to touch a little bit i'm matt gastar by the way i I didn't say it. This is my We're Sethical, um credits 40 minutes into the episode. Um, <laughs> and you're Travis Trudell, right, Travis? I'm Travis Trudell, uh, and that's Matt <laughs> Gasteyer, and we're, uh, we're going to talk about a movie. We are. We're going to talk about uh, uh, two or three movies right now, because we both watched um, the documentaries that he made uh, in between or around The Calm and, cam- and before Camera Buff. Um, he made... Uh, I don't know, uh, and that's not me saying that I don't know what he made. It's called I don't know. Is that um, third base? And uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and uh, he, uh, from a night porter's point of view, and seven women of different ages. Um, he also directed a, a filmed play for television during this era. We are not including that in our uh, chronological order uh, because I said so. Um, more importantly, it's not available in, uh, with English subtitles. <laughs> I actually don't even know if it's available period. Um, the other thing is that he basically, it seems like from what I've read, just sat a camera down and, and filmed a play. And I, I don't think that it doesn't come up in any of his books. I don't think that it was really something that he felt was a, a part of his, uh, oeuvre, uh, let alone like, you know, something that, that would, that he you know, would put his name on. So, uh, the, what did you think of? Let's, let's, let's go in reverse order from, from the order that I put, uh, that I just mentioned, because I think I don't know is sort of, uh, uh, the most essential of these three. What did you think of seven women of different ages? 
Uh, it it was lovely. It it was a it was a nice piece. Just kind of doing the kind of. It almost felt like. <laughs> this sounds uh, reductive, but it felt like one of those Sesame Street episodes <laughs> where you know you're kind of like they go and you get to see like the girls what getting ready for ballet. Do? Yeah, yeah, what does a ballet dancer do? <laughs> and then you see it, and it's nice. It's verite, and it's kind of fun. And then you you move on and. Uh, it's it's nice it's lovely um but you know it's 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 very simple and basic i i, I liked it but it wasn't like whoa this is amazing yeah. i mean i definitely learned i don't want to be taught dance by poli- old polish ladies oh they heavens no seemed very they really meant business and i've never meant business so it would be a bad mix um, yeah i would have given up the other thing I will say, I mean, I, I think there's probably a little bit of double life of Veronique in, in this movie. Um, and and just the generally, like, the, the playing with time and uh, the way that we're seeing a ballet dancer, you know, at different points in their uh, education and career, um, it, it doesn't seem that, it, plus mirrors, the use of mirrors, I mean, it doesn't seem that far off. Uh, from a lot of his films, both early and late. Um, and that really does seem to be consistent through all of his work. It's, it, he's not, he is, you know, if you're going to push the auteur theory, Kieślowski is a really good director to use because he really, um, you know, sticks to what his interests are and what, you know, his dominating themes are and really just goes with it. Um, yeah, I've I've looked I've looked to see if he's had any kind of relationship with some sort of uh, therapy, like if he bothered to do any of that kind of introspective stuff besides what he's done just as a filmmaker. Right. And uh, I haven't found anything because yeah, his he has very specific uh, things he likes to mine and likes to think about and likes to put in his films and. There's nothing wrong with that. I think I find it interesting, and as it as he grows and changes as a filmmaker, his concepts of those ideas uh, expand as well, which I think is fun. But yeah, no, there's definitely a seed of uh, Veronique in uh, Seven Women of a Different Age. Yeah. So then, from a Night Porter's point of view, um, both of these movies are about 15 minutes. Um, this was a bit terrifying and certainly um, illuminating. It's about a, a guy who actually appears briefly in camera buff uh, as one of the uh, he's he's the the official overseeing a gas mask exercise. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> so this guy is uh, basically like a hardcore uh, supporter of the um, communist government of Poland extremely strict by the book kind of guy who thinks you know these young kids with their bell-bottom jeans and their long hair you know what they really need is a good spanking and um, at one point the good hanging yeah a good hanging i mean at one point there he he literally says rules are more important than people um which I didn't know was like a thing that would come out of somebody's mouth. Like I, I get that people think that, but like <laughs> usually don't, they usually don't um, express it in such a quite succinct and uh, literal way. Yeah. Um, this was a, 
this was rough because you know it's it's not a character that you find usually in something of uh, Kishlowski and the fact that he chose right. to tell this story and kind of bring it forward but then at the same time I think this is another one of his films where after it was made he kind of went uh, I don't want to show this because yeah. it's basically just going to make this person be treated poorly by everyone and that's not what I intended to do <laughs> it's well it's, and and they say in the in the um in the liner notes uh of the the dvd set that uh somebody actually made a documentary about this catching up with this guy in the 2000s and um he uh really missed communist poland <laughs> it was a great time for him <laughs> even in the in the 2000s he wished that uh you know he could go back to the to those happier happier days uh, in the in the mid seventies, um, so yeah, I mean, this is an unusual movie for him in that it, you know most of these films are uh, at 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 worst kind of like just people uh, neutrally going through the banal awfulness of their experience in Poland in the late sixties to late seventies, um, but typically it's more people like the uh, subject of I don't know, which is uh, about three times as long as these other two documentaries. And it's really almost exclusively just um, shots of one man talking about his experience of being, uh, of having his life completely destroyed by corrupt officials in the party who, he was going to expose as thieves. Uh, so they turned the tables on him and ruined his life by um, prosecuting him for theft. Um, this movie just feels so much like it's the key to all of these movies that we have talked about so far. Um, you know, I, I saw... I saw a lot of, of, um, you know, the elements of, of personnel, certainly of the calm, um, definitely of the scar, just the, the, I mean, the, the thing that just knocked me out of my socks was when he said that, you know, he, he basically, he's put in charge of this factory where, um, they are, they have about 60 million in sales and they're reporting 60 million in losses. So, clearly there's something up here he goes and and one of the things that he discovers is that 80 to 90 percent of the workers at the factory uh had been terminated for theft and 50 percent of them had been terminated at least three times (laughs) (laughs) um and yeah i mean it's just he just continually is digging deeper and deeper into this world of shit that they have given him um and, uh, but I thought also what's a really interesting thing was how much, and I watched this after camera buff, how, how, um, how much he sounded like the director in this movie, who is ostensibly kind of at least a morally questionable character. Um, you know, I think that we'll, we'll get into that, but he talked about how he had to go to night school in order to learn to be an engineer during the process of, um, becoming a director and um all all of these things that he had to deal with by just the nature of the fact that he was an educated man and they put him in these positions that he wasn't necessarily capable to um to execute and he kind of had to learn on the job 
Um, I thought it was a really interesting film and uh, just felt, I felt like you got, you gained so much insight in just 40 minutes into what life in Poland was like for these educated people in the, in the workforce. Um, that's a, a long way of, of introducing the, the, yeah, the, the movie to, uh, to allow you to have your take on it. But what did you, what did you think of it? <laughs> well, let me go back to the beginning. No, uh, <laughs> you should be yeah. like, actually it sucked. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is, it's, uh, if you're not, it is challenging in terms of a visual story. I will say that like, it is literally a guy looking at the camera and talking about and telling the story. And it's being told like in three or four different positions in his house. And occasionally you cut outside to see that the time of day has shifted. Then you go back in and he's still telling like his life story. And so it's it at first you're waiting for something more to happen as he's telling. And then you kind of just give in to this idea and this thought and this way that he's telling the story. And it is. It's fascinating. Uh, that's the thing that I'm enjoying most about these little documentaries we're watching between the films is it really broadens and sheds a lot of light on the culture and the politics of the time period, which helps turn around and make the films more richer and complex because you can really mine these ideas. And like you said, uh, not only is the director a, you know, almost a direct uh uh, uh, influence on uh, from this character uh, in this documentary you know you can see parts of him in in other films as well like the calm and the star yeah. and there's all these characters that are there and it's crazy because you know he was you know he was thrown to the wolves and the party turned again everyone turned against him even though like within like a couple of years he went from that 60 million in debt to a 10 million right. profit Right. And, you know, instead of in the people that would have rewarded him for that, well, they were shuffled off and, and the whole upper structure had changed. And the people who replaced them did not appreciate him and saw him as some sort of rat that was ruining the good life for all these people. And that's when they right. started setting him up for failure. But uh, it is uh, it is definitely very interesting. And the story of the film is just as interesting because this also is a movie that was never shown. Uh, right. He showed it in some festivals, and it got kind of some big thumbs up. And when it came time to put it on state TV, he said, "I can't show this. He'll get arrested. He'll get in trouble. Like the, no, no good will come of this." And so he was going against, you know, telling them, "I don't want to show it." And at the same time, the actor, or excuse me, the character of this film, uh, I keep on saying actor because it's weird. He he recorded his monologue. And had him tell the story and then went back and played him his monologue and then filmed it. Oh, so he he had he you know, he's telling the story of the story he told. So almost like what uh, William was talking about earlier, he's able to ref, uh, maybe it was before we recorded. Uh, uh, he was able to refine what he said to a more succinct point, I guess, because he had heard it and was retelling it. So that idea is it was fascinating to me because some of the things felt very rehearsed. And I'm just thinking, oh, it's uh, Kishlovsky telling him to do something specific while he's telling this part. But it's probably because he's comfortable and he can kind of, you know, smoke that cigarette with affectation and, uh, you know, make it a, a big part of the uh, of the documentary. But it is it is it is interesting and it is it is sad and strange and 
it, it just makes it, it it gives you you can see why uh Kislowski became a uh, you know was a cynic like this is the type yeah. of stuff that was day to day this is one of many stories that could have been told um but yeah it was never seen it wasn't shown until i think after his death was when it was finally shown cuz even in the 80s when they switched uh, the government and they wanted to sh- start showing movies like this to help show how corrupt and how bad communism was. He still didn't want to show it because he still thought it painted a bad picture of that guy and he was afraid of repercussions. So yeah, uh, I think they did air it once um, in the in in the early '80s, a couple of years after Solidarity, but then they um, but then he he shelved it again until um, much later. <laughs> it's funny because. The guy in the documentary also was petitioning to not let it be shown anymore. And Kishlowski was both simultaneously trying to not let it be shown and mad at that guy for trying to tell him what to do with this film. <laughs> <laughs> so he was competing against this uh, himself and this idea of like, don't yeah. tell me what to do. I'll do what I want, but I don't want it shown. But you can't tell me I don't want it shown. You have no right. Yeah. So, I mean, again, get this set. It's awesome. Um, you can... Probably fine. I actually bought it on US Amazon. Uh, so if you have a region free Blu ray or DVD player for that matter, highly recommend it. Um, so, well, let's let's get into camera buff. Uh, for people who are following at home, uh, this will not be a. Uh, we won't hold off on the spoilers for this one um, since in about two or three weeks, this is going to be widely available. So, um, you know. Drop out now if you haven't watched the movie. If but what what are you even doing here? Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> if you uh, lasted this long, you're yeah, gonna exactly. get the ending, damn it. So Will, um, you know, we, we heard you you were you were positive on this movie. Do you, uh, what are your kind of initial thoughts on it, um, beyond just hey it was good? Or you can just say hey it was good. Well, it's sort of that's sort of what I, my my heart said when the film was uh, in front of me. <laughs> I was watching it and I was just having such a good time. And it's easy to forget how important that can be. Um to to have a have a film that I found was gripping and entertaining immediately. Um I loved the script so much. I think the script is terrific. And from what I understand, it's co-written by our guy Jersey. Yeah. Yes. And this guy, who I love because he's in Decalogue 10, um, and is basically, like, he's so incredibly likable. So I really do need to go back to the the calm now because I feel like I've missed a piece of this puzzle. Uh, But I just understood exactly who this guy was from the first frame. And I understood exactly who his wife was from the first frame. And it, it was so easy to watch this film. Uh, it flew by. It it contains such a variety of characters and interesting situations, complex dilemmas, uneasy answers to those dilemmas and questions. Tickled my own personal interests and I think got me in on that visceral level of that passion of filmmaking. It was anthropologically interesting and in, as a historical document. I mean, just the, the way that um, it starts off with this gentleman being able to, to get this camera, which costs a lot of money and which you need to save a lot of money for during this particular era. And 
you can see why he would gain an obsession in it. I suppose someone should 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 give a little setup into what the film uh, is about. Is that the usual procedure? Yeah, I think so. Is that how we do it, Travis? <laughs> we change. We change often. So uh, yeah, uh, camera buff. It's a tale of a. It's a tale of a young man by the name of Philippe who decides to. Uh, spend two months of his salary to pick up a Russian Krasnogorsk uh, 8mm film camera so, so he can uh, document his, uh, his uh, newborn baby's uh, uh, growth, uh, much to his wife's dismay because two months' salary is a lot of money, um, but he really wants to uh, cherish those memories and make a... And, uh, because this is the ultimate right this is this is the thing that everyone should achieve and strive to be a good job a wife and a family and that's all we want and so that is the beginning of the movie but once he's uh, got his hands on that camera something kind of just sets in and uh he's invited to film something for his work as part of his work and uh the old camera buff bug bites him and he just kind of starts uh, improving and growing and changing and uh it it becomes a fascinating journey about a uh what it means to kind of uh let your passions take over even though it might uh destroy everything else because your passions are the most important thing at that point what did you think of this movie travis i enjoyed it very much um i I appreciate it on the, all the levels that Will was just talking about. Uh, I like the anthropo- anthropological aspect as well. Like, I actually went online and started looking up, like, uh, if there was an amateur 8mm film, like, kind of society in the United States at the time. Because when I think about, like, 8mm film and stuff like that, I'm thinking about just kind of like home movies. But, no, there were, besides train culture where there were people who would just get on trains and film the whole entire train ride or Mm. film trains passing by and then show them in other train groups. If you've seen the movie Central Station, then you have an inkling of understanding of what I'm talking about. Um, But there there were. uh, I think Chicago's museum uh, has a huge – Chicago Library has a huge library of amateur films. And these are are not films of people like – making at home of like their kid walking around or opening Christmas presents. These are films that they like uh, plan shot. They could be about something fictional. They could be uh, a narrative, a documentary, um, but they edited them and they cherished them and they would submit them into these little film festivals and they would meet other amateur film uh, buffs and, and talk about them. And I had no idea this culture existed. And so seeing this movie really kind of piqued my interest because I'd be very interested to watch some of these movies because well, you know when when you hear that he's making a film and the uh, the uh, the boss of the factory has uh, submitted it as an idea to go into a festival and kind of promote it, which would therefore pr- look good on him as well, and we actually go and see this festival that we're talking about, and it's so strange because. You know, it's I, I'm I'm used to this idea of kind of like student or independent films, which have a very specific cultural significance in America. Like when you think of that, like I'm sure you can picture, you know, the guy with a ponytail and the goatee who just made something very important and dark and talky, and and you're just picturing those things. And to see that these are just 
like little tiny documentaries about things that were important or maybe not important, but they were filming them. And these people talking about them very seriously. Um, I found that to be absolutely fascinating because that idea of something amateur being held to some sort of artistic scrutiny um, is something that has never, ever crossed my mind. Uh, it's, you know, when you see it, when you see a uh, when you see a home movie or something like that, you don't you don't hold it to any standard. It's 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 a document of that time. And that's about it. Um, but you don't hold it into any sort of artistic standard and they're doing this. And I found that to be a really like that was the linchpin for me of just how interested I was in this movie. There's so many other fantastic things going on, but that was the, uh, that was the, uh, the anchor that held me into the film for sure. Yeah. Just on that point. I mean, I was struck by the, um, and it's, it's really only a side, a side, you know subplot in the film but i was struck by the camaraderie of the amateur film group that he puts together it's almost got like this um low-key day for night thing going on where it's just like you know and and like his his assistant is kind of like in love with him um and you know it's it's like a heart it's a bit of like a heartbreak at the end right like the 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 idol comes crashing down um when he ruins the film but there, there is this very like, um, uh, like we're in this together, and there's nobody else around who understands our passion. Kind of feeling to it, um, that you know, I mean, as people who are cinephiles um, that uh, who have discovered each other online, that's the kind of thing that that we can um, sympathize with. But it's also like you can only imagine in. Um, in a small town in Poland to be able to discover something like this and feel like, you know, you've got somebody who's a, who's a pretty significant director in Polish history, Zanussi, um, showing up to your amateur film club to watch a movie and give you feedback on um, just that aspect of it. Um, there's a real love of film in this movie, and it's funny because Kieślowski, of course, as usual, um says he was never a camera buff and he doesn't, you know, that's not, you know, he doesn't even associate sympathize with the main character, which is obviously not true. Um, but there is this feeling like it almost reminded me of citizen Kane in that sense of like, there's just a love of like storytelling in this movie. And there's so many different ways in which we see film. Um, and even just the fact that the first thing he shoots is a television, um, you know, he's shooting film on film and, um, and that also of course cuts back to the, the idea from the calm, um, which really just leads directly into this movie, which is, you know, the dream of having the, the wife, uh, the house and the television set, um, uh, which, you know, is echoed here in, in the line of, did she take the television set when she left? And if she didn't, then she'll be back. It's not, <laughs> it's not a permanent <laughs> thing. Um, yeah, no, I, I really liked this movie a lot. Um, I agree with Will. It, it's, it's a really easy movie to watch. There is this, um, even though it's not a comedy, there is a strange, uh, sense of humor in this movie. And there's some really funny, parts of it, I think not like necessarily laugh out loud, but even just when he gets on the train and goes, you know, is leaving and she's just like, don't win. 
<laughs> it reminds yeah. me of in Walk Hard when Kristen Wiig is like, you're never going to make it. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, there's a great there's a great uh, humor in the film. It is it's a dark humor. And sometimes it's just really kind of on the nose, like him getting hiccups uh, yeah. is is funny. And his drunkenness is funny. And, you know, you're I guess you you have a little bit of it in some of the other films but it's very very low key and this one it's a little more it's an oddness which i wonder if that comes from uh Yerge, uh in his bits and parts in it because it's such a he's the character is such a a vibrant character you see him like really loving what he does and it's such a great uh, energetic role and he's kind of you know moving and uh, you know I think there's a moment where the uh, where his supervisor is watching him and he's just like oh he was born to hold that camera and you cut over and he's like obviously annoying the crap mm-hmm. out of the lead singer and just like being <laughs> over her shoulder but he's just so like into it and it's it's so fun to watch and there are there's all these quirky little moments that are are just really enjoyable and builds that character makes you a smile put a smile on your face which in turn like really helps you sympathize with him as he kind of his world views expand and his ideas expand and then you watch kind of some of the the sadness that unfolds because of this uh love that he has that he didn't know or possibly even could think possible in his life which i find to be really endearing in uh in that character the film succeeds in a lot of ways for playing it for real, too. I think the comedic elements, and I chortled quite a lot, I think that it works better than, I think, this sort of archetypal plot of guy and woman and guy wants to do thing and doing thing makes woman yeah. sad. <laughs> and then, like, like this is, like, a very bad Ben Stiller plot. and Or so, you know, like, some, some romantic dramedy type plot. And the movie, this is so much better than that kind of thing because it plays those beats and then never does the cinematic version. It usually plays them for the general real circumstances. I I love that no one in this movie seems to have anything like a clear-cut delineation of a moral code or a re- real stance. And that like, I I think you can find fault in the behavior of both him and his wife in the way they treat the situation. And you can find both positive aspects of the two of them. His, you know, boss, who in in any other movie like this would be so much crueler and so much more demeaning, um, seems to have a pretty pragmatic and more level-headed approach than you think. And the whole time, because you're used to the trope, you're this, this, this sort of lumbering large man you can never quite read you never really know exactly what to expect from him and you think at any second he's just going to fire him or tear up his film and it's going to be this tragic third act drama and he never never really happens well he kind of pulls back the curtain at the end right and then the curtain what's behind the curtain is is much more banal and um and sort of boring and gray than you know you would expect it you would expect the monsters behind the curtain um and that's something we'll definitely get into um but i i do want to go back to the the wife uh dynamic because I, it it is one of those things where like she's definitely um 
you know, she, she definitely can be a bit of like an over the top, just like the, the wife that's the bummer, you know, he's trying to, he's just doing his thing. He's having fun. You know, he's got a kid. So he's like, you know, he's looking for his hobby. Um, but at the same time, like she had certain expectations in this relationship. Like I just watched free solo, which is not, not a very good movie, but like the, uh, the guy in it, when they get together, they, there's like issues in their relationship because the woman like logically does not want him to die. Um, but like he's climbing up the sides of mountains that like they, they meet at a book signing for him. Like if, if this woman in this movie had gone into the relationship, knowing this guy was a filmmaker, that would have been one thing, but she had certain expectations. You know, she thought she was marrying the guy from the calm, which is the guy who mm-hmm. all he wants is the, the wife the kid, the, t- the house and the, the TV set. And when she realizes that she's not getting that, and by the way, she's clearly suffering from postpartum depression um, and yeah. frustrated about the fact that she's unable to nurse her child. Um, and he is, rather than providing her that support, is drifting further and further away from the family. It's not surprising that she would continued to lash out at this and by the way he's off like kissing another woman and you know making kissy face on the phone as she walks by like she knows exactly what he's up to um and like what this is going to lead to um so you know as much as she is you know doing these stereotypical things she is doing them for reasons that make sense i mean i don't think that i think her character revolves entirely around his behavior uh and sort of you know it's it's playing off of his story so you know she's not the kind of fully formed character that he might arguably uh for for you will uh will come to later later in the his films but i think uh certainly she is more well-rounded and um sympathetic at least than the the shrill wife who's just trying to you know, harsh, this guy's vibe. Yeah. This is not, a, this is not a, a, a Judy Greer performance. Right. You know, it's, it's like, it's it, yeah. And, and the thing is, and you're absolutely right about the postpartum depression thing too. You, you have somebody who, and you can never take that sort of um, mental illness, even if it's a, if it's a, it's a temporary one as something to take the, take fault to, to, for the person for, but um, you get the feeling that, you, she's dealing with a husband who's not even aware of the needs that might be caused by her circumstance. Uh, and, and gosh, how ironic is it that when he's all alone, the only person that arrives is the milkman, and then he pours the milk down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, a, it's, it's funny because, you know, she's obviously comes from a society that is don't rock the boat because you rock the boat and bad things happen to you because once attention is drawn to you, then it's usually negative attention. Yeah. So him pulling his camera out and it's an expensive camera. So that's the other thing. I think I, I want to say my wife uh, in Colombia they have this uh, phrase that translates to uh, don't show them your guava. Like, if you don't want it to be taken and you don't want people to pay attention that you have this thing, then don't flaunt it around or it's going to be stolen or bad things are going to happen to you. And him pulling out this camera constantly and, and like out in public and wanting to film her while she's getting her diaper changed. She's like, don't show that. That's her, uh, that's private. Don't 
don't make her something that should be noticed. And, you know, there's a there's a certain kind of uh, hesitation in, in terms of this newfound idea because it will eventually cause you trouble because you're taking notice of things around you. And it's a society in which they don't want you to take notice of things around you. They right. want you to do the thing they want you to do and just go home and watch your state-sponsored TV and hug your wife and... That's it. That's all they want you to do. So, you know, just like the woman, uh, the wife in the movie The Calm, um, she has a better idea of kind of where this is leading and wants him to kind of stop. But at the same time, she's not going about it the right way in the same way that he's not going about the relationship the right way. He's not taking the necessary precautions and he's just throwing caution to the wind to pursue this uh crazy and wild lifestyle as an amateur camera operator but uh <laughs> well it does it does seem like Yerzy's store it does seem like he he's he's so in all of his his roles that i've seen from him and i, I don't remember him decalogue 10 because it's been so long since i watched decalogue but um i just watched the big animal which is a kishlovsky script uh that he wrote in the 70s but um store actually produced it uh and dire- directed it and starred in it in uh, in the late 90s and it's a delightful movie it's about this guy who discovers a camel that's been abandoned by a circus and he uh, basically just you know takes it under his wing and and decides that he's gonna be the guy in the small polish village with a camel and he, he even in that film it's similar to this where it's just the, he's got this like naive enthusiasm about life and he just throws himself into whatever it is that is making him feel happy or excited or feels he feels good about being in life and he just wants to live life to the fullest and it's the people around him who are preventing him from doing that and he it doesn't seem like at any point uh in any of these movies until the very end does he realize that they're they're going to win (laughs) there's only one like there's only so many options that he has um and you know depending on how you read the ending of this movie and i'm sure we'll talk about it eventually um you know that you can you can look at it as him like figuring out a way to maintain that that naive enthusiasm or or giving up on it but i think that is really what makes him so lovable um but it's also kind of his downfall in the relationships in the movie you had mentioned matt before that the um that Chislowski in a way was uh, sort of smoke screening against people thinking that this was any way autobiographical or anything that he related to he was saying that he wasn't sympathizing with the protagonist so much and i feel like there's there's an element in the film where it seems like he's trying to get you off that trail um with the way he portrays philippe's particular type of artistry and yeah. the fact that well, there's even the, the 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 scene that spells it out for you, where he's having an, a meeting with uh, a, a man from the TV studio who wants him to produce. Uh, basically, he wants him to produce a film about the which what is expected to be the progression of a, of a certain place, a certain town, and the way it changes over uh, a span of time. And he asks him if he's if he thinks he's an artist or if he considers himself an artist. Then Philippe completely doesn't think he is he's very very adamant he's like no i'm not an artist and of course the tv man who works you know in this particular political environment is happier to have that it's happier to have somebody who's not trying to forward some sort of artistic statement and you have this contrasted with his 
existence in the film festival sort of world, which uh, there's this fantastic film festival sequence where um, his Jubilee film uh, is given third prize at a festival which receives no first prize <laughs> because because nothing is good enough. Um, and and there's there's something that's that's this like it seems very light. Like this doesn't seem like a uh, counter political artistic revolution happening. But there's 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 a lot for the way he is approaching his art form. He doesn't seem to be. I mean, he, he's nervous to even get the award in the first place. Part of him doesn't even want to accept it. Some of the funniest material comes from him, you know, knocking over uh, the armrest on a chair because he's just shocked to be flabbergasted and approached by this this beautiful woman who seems to be interested in his art for some reason because uh, basically there's some connection between him and the uh, them and his boss. What, what do we think about his obsession in terms of what about this art is it that appeals to like what actually engenders his obsession and what is he trying to achieve because i did find that the films he made were very effective i i mean just watching simple uh, match cutting of a particular piece of pavement over time was a powerful enough image especially in its composition and its simple structure and it told a very clear story so what i appreciated here is that in the film, we're supposed to think that these are succeeding on a mainstream television level. And it felt totally believable that this man made these films and that they did succeed at that level. I cried watching the film that gets screened on TV. <laughs> I cried during <laughs> that scene, watching them watch the film about the employee at the factory. So, um, so, so what do we think about what actually is his driving force um, as an artist, so to speak, or as an obsessive? I think that part of it stems from his uh, naive enthusiasm that he, you know, when when the director asks him, well, I mean, first of all, I think it's really funny when he says, when the guy, he, he tells the director that he's going to make uh, a movie for uh, himself now, and the guy, and he says, you know, two for the plant, one for ourselves. Like, the fact that that's, you know that 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 concept of one for them and one for you is uh, is something that's translatable to a small town '70s Poland uh, like worker that was that had that had a plant sponsor his amateur film club is quite funny to me. Um, and I, I think that there is you know that he asks him what the movie's going to be about, and he just says life. Um, and you know the the fact that I think he's got this um this real um interest in achieving kind of the the polish dream uh if you will um and when he gets there it's it's you know feels a bit empty to him um he finds this other thing that can show him what what there is that's more that that, that is more you know there's more to life than than just that that simple dream that that he thought of, I think that aspect of it is really what drives him, and um, and I think it is you know I think it's it's quite frequently the case that filmmakers' personalities show up on film, and I do think there is a real gentle um, engagement with the world in his movies, 
even in a, in that that pavement film um you know it, i i think that movie is interesting because those images are fascinating but are they fascinating to us because we want to know more about this incredibly unusual manufactured reality that these people were living under um 40 years ago uh, or you know can this film stand on its own i mean i certainly think camera buff as a film stands on its own but i think there is as you mentioned the the anthropological appeal of seeing these elements um of a society that's no longer there and that we were never able to experience um so i think there it, it, it's difficult to separate the effectiveness of the images in the world of the movie from our experience of watching them um, but i do think for whatever it's worth that that it's his enthusiasm towards life that is coming through on the screen yeah and i think the i think the other thing that makes it effective for me is the is the possibility or the concept that he isn't he hasn't been or is hasn't paid attention to uh film in general up until this point like he he is a complete novice in this like maybe whatever he's watched on tv but it's not like he's going out to uh imitate or uh bite the style of a certain type of film that he has appreciated in the past it seems like he is like both uh, he's naive in that he just thinks he can just do and the fact that he is just doing and garnering attention uh, gives it that sense that he has a natural uh, ability which also kind of makes it more interesting because I think the you know uh, whatever the jubilee happens like the fact that he uh, was smart enough to figure out a way to have the pigeons come back or um, you know, to film them uh, getting paid, which is fantastic because that comes right out of one of my favorite parts of a documentary he did called Hospital, in which you see the doctors lining up to get their pay, which is something I would never think of um, because doctors here in America probably get some sort of paycheck and it goes right into their bank account and then they drive off in a Mercedes with a tennis racket for some reason in my mind. But anyway, <laughs> um, the uh, the fact that he's so amateur and, and that... Uh, that uh that short piece about the uh the street um it feels like an absurdist film like the way it's structured is almost kind of like a uh a uh a monty python-esque comedy like shot from a distance and you know because it's so far away you have this feeling of of uh of of humor to it uh you know as you see the the world change around this camera shot and ha as you see, like it come back to full full circle, which is they start to replace the road again because this is what they do. They tear up the road and then they fix it and then they tear it up again. And it's absurd. Like the whole the whole premises and the way it's structured uh, feels like an experimental film. Yeah. Well, and we later find out that those people are are being paid because they there's no materials for the brickworks. I mean, those are probably the same people, right? That they have yeah. doing road work 
Um, they just keep so, doing the same thing because that's yeah. all that's all they can do, so they yeah. can make sure they get their money. So I mean, I, I I, think, it's also interesting what you're saying about the TV, you know the the fact that he really hadn't seen movies. I mean, the the film uh, the people who went to film school were able to see movies that uh, the the t- average Polish person person was not uh, allowed to see in in Poland or or really in the Soviet bloc in general, and they. Um, and so the, I mean, that was kind of part of why they didn't give that award at the film festival. This guy is dismissing these amateurs films because they look like they were influenced by the only thing that these people have seen, which is TV documentaries and TV films that they show, uh, you know, and the, and they don't ha- he doesn't have the, um, intellectual, background to know Ken Loach's Kess and he um, you know I think it's really funny when he goes to buy the magazines he buys film and politics Um, he can't just you know he's got to learn both of them um, in order to be a a proper proper Polish filmmaker Um, and and I I I do feel like that is one of the aspects of it that you know that there is this like feeling of moving up in society of like elevating yourself into the intellectual. Um, I mean, the other thing that he has is just like the, I think he enjoys the attention, you know, he's got all these workers around him and he unveils the camera and it was two months pay. And, you know, now the, now the plant is showing him attention. He's getting called in. Um, You know, there is something very like, it almost reminds me of like a bad British uh, indie comedy from the early two thousands. Like, the small town where somebody gets a camera and everybody and then he becomes a celebrity, you know, like <laughs> it's, it's very Pecker. like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Pecker. Exactly. This movie's just like Pecker. Um, so there, <laughs> there is, there is that aspect of it too. Um, you also mentioned the pigeons. Um, that feels like a key moment here because that's his first moment where he's really manufacturing reality in order to suit his documentary style. And then he later lies about it. Did you guys feel like that? Well, yeah, that I mean, he lies about it later, but he also, after he manufactures that moment for the camera, uh, you know, Vitek, his, his kind of assistant, comes up and he's like, oh, what's wrong? He's like, well, I'm all bummed I didn't catch them going to the meeting. Well, just film my legs going by and you can edit it in. He goes, no, 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 that's not real. And then, you know, after you just watched him luring these birds in with bread and then so he can get that footage, um, it's funny because he has those moments of, you know, I, you know, putting on airs, artistic airs, uh, you know, or just, you know, tipping his toes into that kind of uh, language and that kind of feeling, which goes back to your whole like two for them, one for me kind of idea, like something he's heard other people talk about of some, you know, of some way. And um, I find that I find that absolutely it's, it's great because you see him just like trying things out and oh it doesn't work and oh this works so this feels good or this doesn't and uh you know and even that scene where he like reaches out and touches anna's hand who is the the woman who's uh yeah kind of pulling him out of that amateur into the amateur world of comp amateur competition films or whatever um you know that moment where they kiss and then they just continue to go right back into the like dialogue it, <laughs> yeah. it almost it almost felt like it was a dream like it was a thought he had and it wasn't something that really happened like there was a moment of 
She's in the middle of saying something. He touches her hand. They kiss, and then she's right mm. into answering that question. And I'm like, oh, wait a second. Did that just happen for real, or was that in his imagination? Was that in his mind that this has happened? Um, is this, like, art bleeding into his reality? Or um, So the first time I saw it, like, I watched it a couple times, and the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, that was interesting. Because, you know, I know later he has these flight little flights of fancy that sometimes happen, and... It was uh, it was really fascinating that kind of these moments that he was uh, putting together that Kishlowski was putting together um, to help create this character and make him more uh, three dimensional and more vibrant for uh, the film. I really enjoy the pace and the fact that we're dealing with something here that takes place over the span of a year that you don't necessarily see all of the continuity from. A to B to, to C. Yeah, that there's a bit, that there's a bit that there are elisions in time, and what I love about that and the way that it's presented that way is that he seems to be able to make adjustments in his approach, or a film can be completed over the span of one cut, and I really really appreciate that kind of pace in this sort of environment. And there's a sequence wherein he's at his editing bay, basically, and giving a lesson on continuity editing. Mm, and yeah. saying that you that you can't have the baby facing the one way and then cut and have the baby facing the other way. And what he's seeming to imply is that what you'd prefer to have is an axial cut where you'd cut forward and the baby would now be still facing the same way you wouldn't have, you know, lost continuity. But anybody watching that should be able to see that the cut that's that's being shown on the editing bay is very interesting. And the fact that you're seeing the baby rotate 90 degrees from sort of the profile to a close-up, like, that it's it's almost too good a cut that actually what he's suggesting to do, which sounds like something he read in a book, is actually probably less cinematically interesting. Yeah. And and, and honestly probably a little bit diluted from what where he had started. That, like, as this... Because this really, this does have to come to a breaking point. And it's such a soft breaking point. The breaking point is, you know, would be the act three chase to the train station becomes they go to the train station. The guy signs a chit and then they he throws the canister down the road like it's very, very underplayed just to keep the realism of it intact. But he seems to lose a bit of sight of what it is about this type of documentary or this type of capture of image that is appealing to him. And now when he's when he too enamored with trying to make the cuts match up and make all of the aspects of his life line up it really doesn't make any sense or work that way so i I found it very fascinating that he seems to be giving this um heavy-handed and very reductive explanation on what makes good editing yeah to his friend when it's not necessarily always the case that that is the best choice well that's a good point because it's also the comes at the point where I think he is getting a bit of a big head in terms of feeling like he's able to, um, you know, make a larger, grander political point or make a movie that documents the truth even. Um, and, you know, gives a microphone to the truth. Um, and ultimately I think he realizes that it's much more complicated than that, but, I do think there is an arc to his sense of filmmaking where he, you know, gains confidence, but through that confidence in filmmaking, he's actually losing a lot of what made him special as a potential filmmaker in the first place. Yeah, for sure. I, I agree. I was, uh, 
yeah, the uh, the fact that he's now, uh, you know, telling a standard textbook idea of what editing is, like Will said, uh, and not just editing from his gut, which is what he did at the beginning, because whatever the cuts felt felt right and how it felt as opposed to kind of what the standard is. And I think that's part of his uh, the knowledge base, which he's he keeps growing as he learns more and more about film and filmmaking, uh, checking out or reading books about it, reading magazines about it going to a lecture series to see a filmmaker and talk about the film that he just made, which by the way, until I read more about this movie, uh, I thought that was a fictitious movie that he filmed for this movie. Mm, Yeah. And I had no idea that camouflage is a real movie uh, by the guy who really is talking about it in there. Um, Because (laughs) I was feeling like, Oh, look at this. Oh man, he really nailed this pretentious talking movie, <laughs> which is what he well, would be going to see. And I'm like, oh, this is a real movie. Oops, I guess I should see it and give it a shake because I guess it was pretty popular at that time. But uh, Will, go ahead. Oh, it was uh, it was too teal. <laughs> it was it was like way too teal. Well, I did really I like the understand. echoing, you know, in the film. Yeah. Like it, it, you you do get the the feeling of like what it would have been like to go to one of these screenings. Uh, it's not exactly the same as, as a, uh, you know, multiplex in the, uh, in the mall of America. Um, oh, no, the, other, the all, other point, all tinny. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, the, the other, the other point you made about, um, the ellipses in, in plotting here, I thought, um, was really interesting to contrast with the scar, um, where, um, the film is set over the period of a number of years and you never really get a handle on how much time has passed or what has happened in between that. You, there's a lot of catching up that needs to be done and I don't think it's done very effectively. Here, those jumps in time are pretty much mostly things that you do not need to see. Um, you know, you don't need to see him contact the guy at the TV at TV to to know when the telegram comes that it's the guy from TV and he's contacted him. You know, you don't need to see uh, these different shifting times because you are informed in really effortless ways as to how much time has passed or the information that you need to know about what, what in between those time periods. And you know that time has passed. It's not a guessing game along the way. And so I think that aspect of it is very satisfying and effective and it's something that Kishlovsky wasn't necessarily able to do as well even a couple of years previous to this yeah you can really feel his growth in this not only in terms of his the editing ability the storytelling ability timing like lots of his lots of his uh his character development and shot structure timing wise uh helps uh, tell the story in a lot more uh, economical way than before where something would be meandering for meandering sake or weird for weird sake uh, this you know those moments that happen that are unique or different or odd or quirky um, they land uh, effortlessly uh, yeah. as opposed to sometimes you know the forced uh, feeling that we had in some of his earlier films and you can really feel that growth and that change yeah let's talk about weird for weird's sake what did you guys think of the hawk and the chicken 
Oh, when that happened, I was so nervous. <laughs> At the very beginning of the film, I went, "No, don't do it. Don't do a thing. Don't do it. Like, don't do a thing that we're gonna have to think about." <laughs> I don't. I don't care. Um, and then, and then it gets it gets echoed later, right? So yeah. it's at the very beginning we see this hawk um, peck at the chicken. I mean, it just clearly also we have the cast comparison all of a sudden. Right. But yeah. Um, then there's then his his wife. Uh, the hawk is a doing night, a really a good job with the feathers, right? We should yeah, just well, th- plucking. It's really yeah, plucking it's, it's, very it's, effectively. It's, it's, the plucking, the plucking is good. Then there's yeah. a, a nightmare about that same image right. that happens later. Well, but she, she is this a recurring dream? Because it's, it's they cut right to her waking up, and and I she's going to have implication. the baby. Yeah, 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 yeah. And she says she she says later I had that dream again. Yeah. Or, or he he asks if she's had. I can't remember. She he asks or she tells. But yeah, and it's it's also weird because it's the. It's one of the few times we're kind of in her point of view. It's like the only time, kind of. Like, right. we see her seeing him, but he's always there. But for her to be alone and thinking and having this dream, it's one of the only times we're like that. But it seems to work well within the the story. And to be quite honest, you do kind of quickly forget about it until it's mentioned. And then it's a nice callback echo, which then you think about. Whereas before, it's kind of like, you know, right. what's this? Is this the opening credits? Is this going to be a movie about murder? Well, obviously, I was reminded of the horses in the calm. Um, yes, I mean the horses. the 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 implication there is that they're free. Um, although, as Mark pointed out, they they are probably corralled, and in fact, I mean they're being filmed by somebody, so they're not truly wild horses, I guess. Um, and the and. And the hawk ostensibly is free, but the ch- but chickens for the most there's not a lot of wild chickens running around. They're not very good at at getting shit done, so they need somebody else to do it for them. Um, so it is this free bird coming to kill a a caged bird essentially. Um, I don't really have a main point there. I just think there it, it seems like there's some connection. Here, do you guys think that You're there's a direct? For chicken. Do you guys think that there's a direct I, metaphor there, or do you think it's really just like she's freaking out about having a baby with this guy who may or may not be ready for it? Well, I yeah, it's it's like if there is a direct metaphor, what does the film gain by the audience figuring that out? Uh, what it maybe does more usefully is set some sort of tone or set some sort of scene i mean it, the fact that it's the opening of the film is very telling and it's getting us in from her perspective right away i mean you don't really realize if you don't really know where the film's headed and, and the, think of the polish title which basically means either like a lover of something or an amateur which the word amateur has love in it anyway like that's always been part of the root mm-hmm. so someone who's an amateur at yeah. something is someone who does it for the love of it so that's really the the meaning of, of the film and um if that's all you know you don't really know where it's headed so, so to open with that, it might seem, you know, just like it's setting an idea or a mood. And when it comes back later, that's as much of a payoff as I took. Trying to think of like, oh, who is the chicken and who is the hawk? Yeah. I don't think is, is that valuable because, I mean, dreams don't necessarily mean anything. They, they might, like, they don't necessarily mean something that is quite so one-to-one. Yeah, well, and Kisowski has, has said, as many directors have, you know, the sometimes the cigar is just the cigar. Um, but he, he still opened his movie with the hockey and the chicken. So, I mean, he didn't open his movie with uh, 
a tap dancing lizard. So, I mean, <laughs> it's a, you know, it is what it is, but I also think there, uh, I mean, the implication there, it doesn't necessarily have to be a direct metaphor, but I guess, um, yeah, I mean, by the end of the movie, I'm not, I'm not thinking about the hawk and the chicken in the way that in the calm, it's a much more direct feeling and tone. Speaking of setting the tone for a film, you know, I feel like it's, it's pretty effortless in that, in that movie, but I don't know, Travis, did you feel like the, yeah, when watching it for the first time, I kind of, because of the title and because of what it is, I automatically kind of assumed it was amateur footage of him, like getting some sort of animal photography, Um, you know, just kind of like off the off the cuff. And then when you find out it's her dream and then uh, you watch her progression and his progression through the film, uh, I've read a couple places where someone said it's like, uh, uh, you know, your passion destroying something for your, you know, to feed yourself kind of thing. Mm. And, you know, I can I can see that, I guess. But I, I really but then you have to it's not you have to take it. I take it from her perspective because it's her dream. Right. And I think it goes back to that fear of if you Nesting. stand out, you're going to be picked yeah. off. Yeah. And, you know, if you're the one that's left behind because you're too naive to notice the dangers all around you, you're going to get you're going to get in trouble. Yeah. And now she has something to lose. I mean, when she's pregnant, that's the moment when she's most vulnerable because, you know, it's time to protect the young and prevent any of this from happening. And and it, it, it is eventually being pregnant again that prompts her to leave him um, because she you know, is no longer willing to take the risk. Yeah, because she knows there's only nothing, there's nothing but trouble down the road for whatever his passion is. And, and yeah, I mean, I, that, that'd be the, that'd be the, my, my most simplistic take on what that idea is. And it's interesting that it's only echoed verbally and never echoed again in any sort of metaphoric or another visual way, which, uh, you know, I think, would be kind of beating over the head if they ended with the same image or something like that. It'd be like, yeah. yes, yes, we get it. Just stop it with that. Um, but it is a, it is a compelling opening. It does set, it does like Will said, set a tone. Um, and it kind of leaves you a little bit with an unexpected idea. Cause when you go from this scene of a hawk killing, a killing a chicken, plucking its feathers, and cut to pregnant woman, guy eating bread, which dry, makes me laugh that that's his thing. He likes to eat bread at night. Like he'll wake up in the middle of the night, <laughs> go slice him some bread, and then go back to sleep. But then, like the see the, the image of him running down the street carrying his pregnant wife, um, and then hiding from the car with balloons. It's just it's hilarious. Like just that idea. Like he's drunk, run. And uh, it's uh, <laughs> like like setting from that image of the hawk to that kind of little sequence, um, it it felt so tonally different that it did set me off off guard. And then it took me kind of like a couple minutes to get into the tone of the film because of it. But then when you go back and think about it, it kind of makes sense for her growth and her character, which he kind of veers away from her thoughts for a while because he's more interested in this passion, which thematically makes sense. He's not paying attention anymore to her. So it's all about his passion. So we're not paying attention to the wife anymore, which, you know, is a, it works thematically in terms of the film, but it would be lovely to uh, get a little bit more of her 
feelings as well, but then it would probably bog it down. So good job. Good job, <laughs> Kishowski. You did you did a good job of balancing that and making it work in terms of the uh in terms of the themes of the film. I think two characters we haven't talked about uh too much is the the neighbor and the mom and the uh and the dwarf uh at the plant that he makes the documentary about i mean i feel like both of these are really deft uses of uh setups that are kind of funny um in in sort of delightful ways um I don't think he's necessarily poking fun at either one of these characters, but I think that he's using them in a kind of um, light, uh, like, look, look at these people who, these simple people, in a, in a little way. It, it yeah. makes it sound more um, derogatory than it is. But it, but then I think he, he, he shifts both of these stories into very poignant endings. Um, you know, I mean, I, I, I found it really funny, the guy driving his van over this hill, uh, just so that, you know, his mom could see him out the window. And, you know, his mom is just up there waving down from the, from the window. Um, and then it turns into this thing where, you know, it, it's, it, it speaks to the power of film uh, in this, um, again, very on the nose, but very elemental and, and true way. And I think the same thing is true of, of the, the TV documentary and sort of how deeply that, that moves this guy who, you know, it, it basically just made a straightforward um, film, film about this guy's life. I appreciate that in the film because it is. It's like it, uh, the car driving over the hill is the idea of what we think of when we think of a home movie. It's the simple little, like, I always remember uh, there's a documentary um, about the making of the film Bad Taste by Peter Jackson. And the mom, they're interviewing his mom. And they said, oh, yeah, we got this 8mm home camera. And, you know, he Peter was always doing interesting things, uh, you know, swinging the camera around or following people. We would just film people walking towards us and away from us. And that's that like that same idea of that. This is what I think of when I think of just basic film. Like, oh, just film me driving towards you so I can then show my mom. Like, look at me. I'm driving. And that's the most basic concept of what film is to him or what this camera can achieve. Whereas, uh, you know, uh, Philip's, Philip's character uh, can can see what how much more that camera can achieve be, just due to how he is and who he is. And then to turn around and show how powerful film can be. And for both of those, and it's not, the nice thing is, it's not the jaded people who sit on that jury and talk about how these films don't mean anything. It's the actual people that, um, you know, the masses, the, the normal people who watch TV, those are the ones who we show it affecting the most. And them understanding all of a sudden how powerful these uh, you know, this tool can be in reaching people, which I think is what, you know, a lot of the government feared and tried to kind of rein in to be able to tell those stories that they wanted to tell because they know how powerful uh, this image or these images can be. And so I, I liked it. It was it was on the nose. It was very, you know, this is, you know, movies are a memory and now I have her forever in this moment and you did something special for me. Yes, 
But it also sometimes that needs to be said, especially when it comes to uh, these people who don't really understand the power of this art form that, uh, you know, the, the first art, as, uh, as someone says in the film. Um, I think it was nice. I do. I think I agree with uh, Will uh, that that last film is very emotionally moving. Because you do like you, you have that fear that this is going to be exploitive. Because yeah. you know you're pi- you're picking the guy that's the shortest. You're picking the person with a physical handicap to make a documentary about. Uh, there's always that fine line of you know whether you're going to be exploitive or you know what is your goal of this and is it to show that someone's so different is it going to be the bad part and you know the fact that it is very moving and very touching and really kind of paints a picture of him as a person and not as a disability um is is very striking and very moving and i think that's part of the uh you know part of the charm of that scene is him stepping out of the room and you think he's been offended but right really well that i think i definitely think that's crying. what yeah i think that definitely is what kishovsky is setting up there is the idea that we think that the director was right all along that you know, this guy finally sees himself on TV and is uh, offended by the portrayal of him or the, you know, that he's been exploited um, when in reality it's the, the opposite. We talk about VTech a little bit. Did we talk about him and just their relationship? It's bizarre. It, it's, it reminds me of something that I can't quite put my finger on and where the the sort of plus one to the lead character is a bit of a cipher. It's a character that doesn't seem to exist much outside of that. Because the other characters, we have, you know, Stashu, who's, you know, such a weird, lovable, likable yeah. got member of this whole bureaucracy. Yeah. He's a character that I just think you, you get along with from the very beginning as being someone who's high up but on his side somehow. And he feels like his, his dad the whole time. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and he, it's being that he was at an orphanage, you can yeah. see why that that's that's that that his firing being the turning point, right, is so important. And then he has his other friend who, um, whose mother dies, who drives the hearse. But then you have our 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 Vitek who doesn't have much outside of his existence, uh, sort of joining with Philip. And I, I wasn't totally sure if if this, this sort of the denouement with the two of them was totally earned but with that being the case i'm glad that it wasn't much of anything like you think it's about to be a huge argument or yeah. maybe you had a fist fight or a scuffle i think that's what i appreciated this this film was just consistently refreshing in how many you know roads it didn't take mm. yeah you know, or just or just how many times it just didn't take the most obvious yeah. um I mean, I like almost every... I mean, I pretty much like all the characters in this film to some degree. If I really think about it, there's not a single character that when they're on screen, I don't find something about them that pulls me in. And I and there are so many minor characters or characters in the periphery that, that give you something. Um, not to say that the VTech is probably the, the least compelling of them all, but I, I didn't really feel like I had a very good handle on what made him tick. He feel he feels a little bit like comedic relief a lot of the time, like when Zanussi shows up and he's so enthusiastically filming the meeting and swings around to the poster. Um, <clears throat> actually, well, it kind of reminds love... me of Judy Greer in, in Arrested Development. To, <laughs> like... Well, yeah, that's an atypical Judy Greer role versus what yes, she's yes, doing in movies yeah, these exactly. days. I, well, that, that's, that scene is so wonderful because Philippe gets all dressed up yeah. and he, his second is now going to be the new him. 
the way that the way that he's in a way grooming Vitek to be the next oh, guy yeah. to like to be the vice president of the film club and and to manage all of these things it's 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 amazing that and truly again the the illusions in time showing how much has passed and cutting right to this new environment um, but yeah I, I don't I don't know besides his the, the comic relief and the admiration what um, what he does outside of these things not not that we have to know I mean I don't think that the um, the characterization of, of this particular individual um, being not as fully developed as it could be is in any way a, a slight on a film that as we already mentioned that has a its second lead in his wife isn't really that well developed yeah. as her own character well I mean I think I don't think that's the intent yeah I think he's like a I think he's kind of serves as a step behind Philip in in terms of yes of, yeah you know where he his understanding of of how film fits into Polish life yeah no I agree I think it's that uh he is playing you know the uh urtext uh naivete character the film is everything yeah. and that was where Philip was like you know if you know this movie takes place in over a year but it feels like you know that was when he was when he was young man when he was just learning about film how you know how happy he was days, and yeah. yeah the idea <laughs> that he would throw that away shows that you know philippe is grown past that because he read a film book in a political magazine um he's now better than this and realizes the danger and the harm that these types of things can bring about and then you know where vtech is still like completely enamored by the idea of telling the truth and showing everything and doesn't quite grasp that concept. But then again, Philip doesn't actually explain the reason yeah. why he's doing it. He just kind of says, you know, it's not worth it. This sucks. And he just throws it, which also is kind of funny because to watch the footage, he would have to have already kind of uh, put it through its chemical bath. <laughs> and the fact that it's just kind of like they're walking around with it, with this footage of what they may or may not have, but he doesn't really know. And then he throws it away. I just, you know, yeah, I, I, I how, thought, how would it have gotten exposed if you opened it up unless it was... Yeah, I was it curious was already about that, too. I thought it was like a finished film that they were sending. I thought it was, the, too, to because he was it. supposed to be throwing it in the mail to go, yeah. and then for him to throw it like that and then they'd just walk away, you know, really, Vita could just go over there and roll it back yeah. up, and it'd probably be just fine with a few scratches. But, well, uh, yeah, this, that, this was, was, that was a little confusing. Yeah, and this, this, I guess, was originally the end of the film in the script, Um Although Kieślowski claims that the the rest of the movie was always intended to be made, but it was it was kind of added on um, as the movie was being made, and I think ending with that moment would have been a huge mistake and would have have kind of lost a lot of the point of the film. Um, before, but before we get to that ending, I did want to um, touch on the meeting with the director because I think it's a it's a growth moment for Kieślowski a little bit there. It's not necessarily the case that his previous films have a hardcore bad guy. I think he's always dealt in gradations, but I think this character feels so much like he's being set up. If, if not as like an evil person, certainly as, as um, somebody who is comically, uh, oppressive um to our protagonist and i mean he makes some good points here right do you guys feel like i mean first of all is he telling the truth 
I assume he is. Are we talking about the TV producer person that wants to put his... No, I'm talking about the director. I'm talking about oh, when oh, he yes. takes oh, yeah, him the, to the... Uh, yeah, to the, 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 the main boss of the factory. explains to him yeah. why. Yeah. This is... It's uh yeah it's Ned Beatty and Network. Yes. <laughs> this is like this is the way this is the way the world. Well, I lo- what I love about this guy is that he, and why you're right. I was when when he first gets introduced and there's this sort of things about he's like well the film's good but you got to cut the pigeons right. and you got to cut this, four things. Let's make that. it four things. <laughs> but then but then he pulls out a little flashlight oh, and then he just so writes great. the word film and I'm like this guy this guy kind of gets it like he's he's aware and even if there's you know cutesy moments of him looking at Anna and being like, oh, it's him, but Big Boss made me cut the stuff. He, he in his own way, is going to just be another cog in, in an even bigger machine. Well, no, he's as, enth- he's as enthusiastically excited about being the studio executive as Philippe is oh, being yeah. the director. He loves playing that role. <laughs> like, he wants you know, the diploma. It's like the, random cuts. It's like how the producers get the Best Picture Oscar, not the director, right? It's like... <laughs> he gets the diploma. Yeah, he gets the diploma. Yeah. <laughs> And I love that line where he goes, it's third, but really we were second. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he says it, says it right out loud. And then, yeah, no, I think it's, I, I, I think that that's the nice thing about the character. I think Will brought it up as well earlier. And I think you've touched upon it, Matt, is that idea that he is, he's not an arch villain. He's not the guy who's, who's always been against this amateur, damn you, amateur film club. You're going to ruin everything. Right. Um, he's, but he has, if you watch it again, he has constantly, subtly nudged him to say, please don't do this. He's not telling him not to, and he's saying, let's make this cut, you know, just, you know, not being angry about it, but this is just what we should do. And it's to keep all this stuff in check so we can continue living this lie and this kind of, like, existence because he knows as soon as it goes beyond the thing that he wants it everything all the lights going to be focused on them and he's going to have to do something about it which unfortunately leads to the firing of a uh, of his uh of his buddy osich and it's a sad moment and he's probably is telling the truth he's like listen man if you point to this then that money we use for the school is i believe him because he hasn't done anything to be he hasn't shown any dishonesty anywhere else in the film. He's been yeah. very direct, uh, you know, and kind in, in, in his own way, in his gruff way. He's been kind because he has said, like, you know, he does enjoy it. You're right. You know, he bought a special flashlight pen that he probably saw someone else using somewhere to make notes while watching a film, which is fantastic. And, you, you know, the fact that he just writes film on the paper, and, you know, to show <laughs> off like how fun this is. Uh, is 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 lovely and it's it's an endearing character trait for him which makes that ending uh where he has to explain the situation to him you know it makes it hard and you feel bad for him that he has to fire osuch and osuch is like yeah i knew it was gonna happen like it has to happen like this is just the way of the world which is funny because this is also a uh, philip who kind of knew that at the beginning of the movie but didn't really know that until the end of the movie that this is the way of the world. And it took him to look through a camera and to really start looking at things for him to see that this is kind of how the world is. And it took that widening of his ideas, widening of his worldview, uh, expanding his world to be able to start noticing these things, which, uh, you know, as a statement, as simple as the other ones that both the, 
the uh, funeral hearse driver's death of his mom and the uh, and the gentleman who works at the factory who 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 state out loud how film can move and change people. I think this statement is even a, a greater one that you know you watch you watch him learn and grow and change and expand his worldviews, which also you know is that idea of film that these images and these films will help expand and change your worldview, which will give her give you a greater understanding of how things work, which is which is a lovely sentiment, which I think is the best part of this film is that statement, which is true, which is why we all sit around here and talk about these movies and keep on going on these journeys because it helps us grow and change and experience new things in our lives. And so we're watching this character go through that same exact revelatory journey. And yet, I mean, despite the, the widening of his worldview, you know, he ends the movie by turning the camera on himself and, um, telling his own story. Um, it feels like a back to basics thing, right? Like that there's mm. the moment just before that, where the director gives the big speech and he's saying, um, you know, people live and love. You have to look at that sometimes too. Your films are too bleak and gloomy and all Philip can say is just, I see. And it's like, it's like he, it's like there's a whole aspect of people and humanity that he didn't bother to grasp yet. And the only way to access that level in others is to to first turn on himself. And if, if he can connect with himself first, then he will be a useful vessel to connect with whatever that other thing is. So it does. there's something hopeful in this for me, for him to go back to basics and unpack all of that baggage and explore what it is that makes him a person. I guess when, when I asked before, like, what is it that makes this guy tick and what is it that creates this obsession? These are questions you don't think he ever asks about himself because of his naivete. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's that's the yeah that's the beauty of this of that last scene is that he has achieved that idea that the understanding that he has to know about himself to be a better filmmaker, and that's that's a fantastic trait. And there's that one little that little sad but also uh, rewarding moment where he's in the middle of the heartbreak and his wife is leaving him and everything is bad and for a quick second he frames it <laughs> just oh, her walking out the door such a good movie he knows oh. he's, he knows that this is humanity happening and his instincts snapping yeah this is this should be filmed this is the thing this is a moment that should be caught and he's not getting it and it frustrates him and it's it's beautiful because that's his it's at that moment where he has literally traded that life for this life, and that life, this life of filmmaking, is more important than the the wife, the child, and the television set. Uh, it's it has now made him grow and change, which then he turns the camera on himself, which is is a beautiful start over of now we're going to do it this way, and we're going to learn about me, so I can learn about the world, which is a uh, absolutely lovely well there's also like a, a bleed uh there both in the framing and in the final moment um i've i've certainly had that uh especially in my youth as a budding movie watcher that feeling of you know anytime you're in a elevated emotional state or going through something significant you're thinking like am i is this actually happening to me or is this something in a movie that i'm just uh you know remembering happening to somebody that I've seen in a movie before. Um, you know, I, I think I'm a bit more removed from uh, <laughs> cinematic uh, experiences now, 
Um, but I think there is this feeling of like, you know, am I, am I living in somebody else's reality at this point? And you, when your wife's leaving you is certainly a moment of that where it's like, you know, this, this, it's both, this would make a good movie, but it's also like, is this a movie? The only way I can process this is through a frame. Um, and that moment at the end feels that way a little bit too. I mean, I, I take it as hopeful like you guys, um, but I'm also an introvert. So I feel like the, you know, the ending of the scar is, uh, similar in the sense of like, you know, I'd rather just sit at home and play with my grandchild than run a factory. So it's not, um, giving up on the world to do that. It's just like the, the smart move. Um, but I think there is like certainly a pessimistic perspective on this movie, which is, you know, you can have all of the best intentions when you go out to, to make a film and try to change the world. But ultimately you're going to fuck up and that's just going to happen. And, and the question becomes, you know, is it worth it in your pursuit of whatever it is that you're trying to achieve? And I, I do think, as much as he shows his love for film and filmmaking in this movie, there are many instances in which he shows that it's not as important to him. I mean, he doesn't hold on to his film. He, he obviously, he rolls it out at the end of the movie, but he also, you know, I mean, obviously the guy just lost his mom and he's saying this film means everything to him. So you're going to give it to him, but he doesn't hesitate in that moment. I mean, he's, certainly ready to give up whatever it is that he needs to give up um, because it's not as important to him as the people around him. And this final moment kind of feels to me like he's um, giving up on that opportunity to make these connections and help these people because he knows that, you know, the best intentions are not always enough and the only thing that he has full control over is his own self i i can see that uh but i guess i look at it more as the he's now realized that the way to connect with people better is to be making films uh you know the fact that his film has helped his friend uh with the death of his mom and the fact that his film helped the uh, the factory worker and kind of really kind of touched him emotionally. I think that it's not so much that he's cutting off from himself, but that the one person in his life that f- the films will never affect or make better is leaving. And he has nothing to offer her uh, in that aspect and no way of connecting to her, except by looking at her through that frame in hopes that he can f- like, almost like I, you know, this is a moment that and she catches him in that moment and he quickly like shirks away from, you know, that that second. I don't know. I, I don't I guess I don't see it as a way of him disconnecting from it, but doubling down on it and, and making it so even more so personal by putting himself in the project as opposed to kind of only filming what he sees, but to kind of uh, turn it the camera into himself, which will then allow him to connect more with the world. Uh, I mean, that's how I, that's how I kind of read it and took it, but I can definitely see it yeah. the other way as well. It's funny a, because in, in one of the books, separation. yeah, in one of the books, um, uh, that I read about this film, 
they describe it, they compare it to him giving her the finger that it's like, uh, yeah. you know, the process of, of, you know, she hates the, the film, um, aspect of his life. And that I guess it's, it's sort of him saying, you know, you're now part of one of my movies, so fuck off. But I certainly don't don't see it that that way. That seems too cruel. Yeah. I I think that there's, Mm. it's it's really a self-actualization. I think I'm always the kind of person that, despite the fact that it seems the child becomes a victim of attrition in this particular uh, struggle, that if two people cannot cohabitate as they are or as they're developing, then it is not a tragedy for them to separate. And in this particular instance, um, it seems like he's realizing something about himself and self-actualizing and she even says that she wanted something that was you know relaxing and calm and that whatever he's now invested in I mean, clearly he's a good friend he i mean he does drop his film at a moment's notice when his um when his friend's mom is ill and he does hand over the, the footage right away but when he asks to see it when his friend asks to see it after not attending the funeral and that's the first thing his wife hears. She practically breaks down, really, just because I think of what that what the film means. That she she's exerted her emotional effort to run and go support their neighbor, who with whom she's also friends. And the first thing he thinks about, it's like, oh, is he all right? And it's like, oh yeah, he wants to see the movie. Like Vitek says the absolute wrong thing, of course, but you sort of understand that there may be people that can connect with with him after he can realize his aspect to himself and. You know, one might not be entirely convinced that his wife ever would have been that person. It was said just now that, you know, the one person that he can't connect with through the films, but you're never, you're not going to please everybody and you're not going to connect with everybody as an artist. And it's reasonable to think that as a human, as a romantic, as, as as a romantic partner, it might not work out. And so I think that if there's a hope there that is, he will now be offering for himself the right product. Matt, you said at the very beginning that, you know, if, if she had known at the beginning that she was going in with um, this film buff, with this filmmaker, it would have been different. I mean, the, the struggle would have been different. You know, the, the free solo comparison. But now maybe he'll go on and meet somebody that will be, meet him at that level. So it's like, it's, it's, it's more important that he understands who he is before I grieve for his relationships. And, um, I think that it's it's a circumstance where it's not that he's giving her the finger, I don't, I don't think. I just think that he's lonely and not sure what to do because he's like a lot of people who are suddenly left bereft of, of, of a loved one when someone decides to leave. They just don't really know what to do with yeah. themselves. Yeah, well, I think it's clear to him that, you know, this is the way that life makes sense. So this is how he's choosing to perceive this and the only way that it can make sense to him. I mean, I guess the other way that I I feel like the ending can be viewed as darker um, than perhaps all three of us uh, want to see it as is the idea that he does continue to choose film over his family. Um, You know, I mean, I think that that scene where he confesses to her that, you know, he feels like there's more to life. It's a very sad scene. You know, the, these are two people that created a life together, literally and figuratively, and um, he's realizing that it's not enough. And she's realizing that in a different way, you know? I mean, I think she's realizing it um, internally, uh, and, 
he's realizing it ex- externally, but I think when he tells her, you know, this is the, you know, there, he needs more than this family and that the, that film is that thing. It's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a sad, intense moment. And the fact that there could be an ending to this movie where he gives up film, he sees the, you know, that it's not worth it. Um, I think would make this an entirely different movie, but there's a case to be made that the healthy decision was not reached here. You know, that, that, that I guess there's a question of, is it, is it worth it ultimately is what he's after in trying to, uh, fulfill this, uh, this dream of being a filmmaker. Is it, is it worth giving up his family for? Well, what you say is very interesting to me because I read a lot of reviews about the film that that mostly, you know, like letterboxed reviews of people saying things like, this is a film that is about the dangers of this kind of obsession, which does feel like a pretty reductive way to go about thinking about it in a way, but that there are folks who seem to think that this is in some way, uh, like, what what is the moral here? What, are we to condemn this as like you say is this the healthiest choice I mean clearly this is not a very practical choice for the the happiness of their child but um, I mean that that's such a complicated discussion I mean when when do you stay together for the kids like that sort of thing is an age-old question and millions of people have chosen that that chosen different answers to answer that sort of question and clearly for him that that's not entirely the concern i've never had children i've not been married but i i definitely feel like i've had moments where i've chosen um either my art in some way or a film even just as like the film experience over a family environment or a family atmosphere and to the strife of the family family attitude i mean this this film spoke to me on a very personal level level and that i really understood the type of obsession this person has i don't think i i've ever had this level of naivete about it or, or like that that lack of self-awareness or lack of desire for it to be something even greater and greater and greater but there's something in this that that i do think that whether it's a healthy decision or not I, i'm not entirely sure that it's condemning him because it's re- clear that he didn't want to lose her in that environment i just it you feel like the film ends with her knowing that she doesn't want to be in it anymore and him wanting to still have his his wife but not sure where else to turn. Yeah. yeah so I so I thought I think that in terms of like he, there's no there's no choice for which I can condemn the character because he he seems to have the only choice he made was pushing too far and driving her away. But if that's what he was going to do anyway, it's 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 hard to when you watch this film. I think that what makes it complicated is you root for his success in a way, and when he has two meetings in the same building for different TV jobs. And you're just like this. You're you're, you're rooting for him because he's rolling in it and he's succeeding at what you never thought he'd be able to succeed at doing. Um, it's hard not to want to him to continue. Well, it's also uh, in terms of what it's saying about the societal norms of that time as well. I mean, if you even if you look over here at the United States in the '70s, at uh, the films that were being made at that time as well, you know. It's all about people breaking away from uh, 
normal or normative family, atomic family, uh, you know, kind of ideas, you know, how many movies were there where people just up and left their family to find a better life for themselves, uh, I mean, look at, you know, you can, as a, as a start comparison, you can look at something like, uh, you know, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, yeah. where a guy has this passion and this idea, and he's willing to give everything up to uh, explore and taste a greater world out there and, you know, leave everyone behind. And, you know, no one, you know, well, you know, you don't think about that because the idea of the adventure is so much far, it's far greater than this idea of this crappy home life where the kids are screaming at each other all the time and the wife is nagging and he's just he just wants to go further and this is a smaller version of that where you know this idea this concept that to be happy is to have these things and if that's all you're raised on and that's all you think there is and then you're given this taste of something different like it could have been anything it could have you know not just being a camera buff it could have been like you know just painting or photography or it could have been so many other things that he realizes that he never thought of that could be something that could be fulfilling or satisfying well i get that and, but it but it's but it, it it's a movie right so it's a movie it's a movie about making movies it, it could be anything but it's the one thing that is inherent to the medium that is depicting it i mean i really like the comparison to close encounters of the third kind um, but I think one of the reasons why the average person that watches that movie doesn't think about the fact that Richard Dreyfus is a jerk and abandoning his family, um, is that he's right. Like there's some really chill aliens in the mountains that <laughs> are going to take you on an interstellar, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah going to take you on an interstellar <laughs> adventure, the likes of which you have never seen before. Um, so, you know, the three of us can watch this movie and say, it's worth it. Movies are great, and they are a window into the world, and we are able to experience things through them that we would never otherwise be able to experience in our everyday life. But that's the the story that we bought into. I, I don't know that the film presents it that way, and I certainly don't know that the average person either here or in Poland would see the movie and think about it that way. I think that there, you know, it's, it's not, you're never going to, it's never going to be as sexy as, as aliens or, you know, anything along, along the lines of, of a big Hollywood movie, because it, it, it's really asking you to buy into its own presentation. And without that, I think the only thing that, that his decisions rest on, are the is the success that he's seeing around him like like the TV interviews, but I think more importantly, just his likable, affable personality as an actor. Um, without that, I think those those things. I think this movie could be seen as as more of a rejection of the choices that he makes. Well, and then that just ties into the opening shot, right? This passions will kill everything. Yeah, and. You know, it just kind of wraps full circle if you take that uh, dark, dark and and hopeless approach to the idea. But, you know, it is. It is something that is uh, not considered, which I could see why some of those letterbox reviews could happen uh, that Will brought up. You know, people do take this as a cautionary tale as opposed to a, a tale of freedom. 
you know, a tale of escaping these, uh, this type of uh, life and this type of existence, which, you know, we've, uh, we've touched upon many a times in different cultural moments. Uh, Doll's House is another one. If we flipped it around and it was about a female filmmaker who wanted to escape this normal drudgery of life kind of thing, um, you know, would we take it as a little bit more of a idea of that freedom and, and escape as opposed to the, uh, what he has going on now, which is that, you know, fam- familial responsibility and, uh, will he, he's willing to destroy it for this idea. And then the cynical idea of that he's basically just going into these two film jobs because they want to exploit him for his, uh, naivety of like filming these things that everyone else would clearly stay away from, but he's going to do it because he wants that success, which, is also what they're doing to him. So it is that it is that idea that this he still isn't fully uh, understanding how this is going to work out for him, even though both his boss and his wife have told him he needs to, you know, he needs to stop it because it's going to make things worse. And as we know in uh, Kijlowski's career and in the things he's disguised in his documentaries, he's also had to shelve things to make it so he doesn't hurt people. And he's come to that conclusion, and you know we're still left with uh, with uh, Philippe still not fully grasping that idea. He thinks he can fix it and change it. So I can definitely see it both ways. It's uh, that's what makes it, you know, an interesting film because you can you can check it out on many different levels and figure out like which kind of viewpoint you're going to take and maybe in different points in your life or different uh, times in which you've watched it, you can definitely see different uh, aspects of it uh, emerge. It gets it both ways, even in the span of minutes. We, um, Andre Jurga plays himself in this. Um, and there's the scene at the TV studio, which is wonderful because you get the sheen of the, the sort of um, commissary and the office where there's one guy who's saying to another guy, I'll be with you in you know, 25 minutes or whatever. And he's having the conversation that's you're not going to be an artist, right? And he's much more polished. Then you have the slightly more bohemian man in the back room with all the film canisters and people, you know, buzzing about. And he's the one interested in the certain films that um, he saw the snippets of back at the film festival. And you get the feeling, that, especially because Jorgos playing himself, that he's meant to at least be someone who's not exploiting Philippe. But yes, it seems like the other gentleman might be going, I just got to find somebody who's going to be a vessel for this state television. And the fact is that he can get it both ways. And because the film gives it to us both ways, it does create a much more compelling and and complicated mm-hmm. piece. When, when, the, when I was watching it, I thought, and this is again, as I said, I was on board really quickly. I said, gosh, I want to recommend this to people. I want people to see this movie. And I think part of that was because I can I realized I was connecting with it on a personal level with my own journey um, in the films that I've made and that I was connecting with it in a way that I wanted to share with people that if they saw this film, they would understand something about me for better or for worse. But to, to share this film with people who might not be as on the in with the idea that film is like the be-all, end-all art in, or one of them in a certain way. What would it be like to put this film in front of people who don't have that innate bias? And um, I think that's as the general discussion of it. Would it be a cautionary tale? Then I'm not entirely sure. I think I think I would need a greater sample size. I think the film hasn't been seen by enough people. I'm sad to say, and it would be though it was very highly regarded when it came out. It seems seemed to have won a lot of awards. 
and that it had a lot a lot going for it. Um, I would just be, I think that this would really work very well and, and it would be watchable for a pretty standard mainstream audience. But it's hard to get anybody in the door on a Polish film from 1979. Well, I, th I think people, th you know, think of a lot. A lot of these movies were uh, these early Kieślowski movies were made for TV, um, you know, and that's TV in communist Poland in the late 70s, not um, movie of the week, uh, girl on acid ju ju jumping out of the third floor of a, of a house. Um, they, they, <laughs> I think they think that they're expecting something that that you don't end up getting. I find all of these films, um, even The Scar, which I think is probably the um, most oblique movie uh, of the bunch, uh, pretty accessible. Um, all of his films from the 70s, I think, are, are, are pretty accessible. Um, but this one in particular, and yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised. Of course, the people who give film festival awards are not exactly um, Joe Schmo off the street. They're obviously people who, who love film and uh, spend time with it. Um, but I, I think the points you make are good. And I, I guess I will ask you because, you know, we didn't get your answer to your own question, which is why, why do you think that, that he makes these movies? What, what, do, what is his, the passion that he finds in this? Is it in the movie or is it something that you bring to it? Um, you know, with the, with the knowledge of your own passion having been sparked. A lot of it seems to develop in that first Jubilee. Well, at first, first of all, out the gate, he's, he's filming almost everything. And he's already saying, oh, we missed this aspect of, you know, the beginning of my daughter's life. But the way that he's walking around that party and um, filming, almost, like he's almost a baby filming the way that he's just turning the camera on the men who are going out for, you know, a smoke and a pee and, um, and the way he manipulates the birds. Like he's like, he's learning the language. It's the dawn of man happening. And he's just slowly learning. Okay. Well, if I move the bird, the bird will fly and then I will be able to capture the <laughs> of a bird. And the way that he spends a lot of his time just capturing locations, the way that he's spending time capturing um, the images from his window, and they assume it's from his plant, but he's saying, no, this is from my house because my wife won't let me take the camera outside anymore. There's there's something about him like he's he's like the little kid trapped and slowly learning how to use his his hands or something. And I think that it's hard not to be fascinated with with your own skills. I mean, there's nature versus nurture in this. I, I teach music lessons and I have a lot of young students and I definitely have some piano students say that clearly their minds aren't as sparked by this as others. And there are some students who start absorbing things at age six or seven, like a sponge, already jumping into heavier concepts of music theory. And looking at him, uh, looking at Philippe, go through this journey from basically nothing to man who has read books to college student to, um, I don't know, to feel like he, feeling like he's a sellout in some way and then abandoning his career and then going back to some sort of intro. Like he's, I guess it is 2001, a space odyssey because then he becomes the baby at the end. Um, so he, he like, he does the whole cycle in the span of, of the one, of the one movie. And um, for me, I, I, I think that's the more more abstract approach than what I put into it myself is that I think I've definitely approached 
the last film I did, the, the, I, I've only done really one feature now, and I, I just finished it a few months ago, and I spent a whole year filming it, and it was very observational. There's, there's that great moment where, um, there's, where he lies about the pigeon, right? He says, how did you, how did you get the birds? Right. Like, I just filmed it. There's just the man, who, who, the man at the film festival who loved it, who I thought was now going to be a main character, but it's just really his patron for the one scene. But I love that. I mean, that whole scene is great. I also need to shout out to the guys that cheer on yeah. the condemnation because it just feels like you were seeing such a product. It's, this has to have actually happened. Yeah, you know, the, the guy that's going to boo no matter no matter who wins. Right. right. And so um, he says, and and truly, that's how I felt filming the movie I did last year, where so much of what I shot was pure chance, and. Like I'm glad I have my camera on me, and I would I had my I brought my camera pretty much everywhere I went last year, and shot a lot of things for what is a narrative film, but in a very improvisational way based on things that I knew. Like I said, I can't miss this. Like I can't not capture the image that's in front of me. And similarly, at, at the end, a significant amount of the film involves a sort of self reflection and examination in a fictional sense, in turning the camera on on myself in usually too severe of a, of an angle that is to, to be to be unflattering in a way um and examining it from that perspective so there's something about like his simple naive baby approach that i was doing myself anyway in a way that i have no pretensions about i i just i wanted to film a project that would be easy to film and i thought carry my camera around let's see what happens and then something did develop just by happenstance and considering the fact that he was able to develop things by happenstance and, and see enjoyment in, in, in a gate and see enjoyment in panning across the room and seeing enjoyment in locking down a shot of the outdoors or of a landscape or of a few people and just capturing it for what it's worth was, was just really, really wonderful. And I really appreciated, I really appreciated the type of filmmaking that this, this, this man was, was on about. Um, I loved, and like I said, I cried watching that film, watching the film, and watching people watch the film. I thought it was really, really great, and um, it was it was magical in a way. There's even a moment that that almost breaks the fourth wall a bit. That it reminds me of the uh, the eyeline break in La Dolce Vita, where there's a part where um, the man who about whom the documentary is happening, the the employee, he's um, he's washing his hands. Yes, and and our ca- he looks into yeah. the camera and then goes off, and then we see then there's Philippe filming him in the back. And it's not clear. We It looks, it feels like we're the POV of Philippe at first. And then all of a sudden we see the cameraman over there. And it's like this little thing. And it's Maybe it's slightly abstract. Maybe it was just a, a goof on behalf of the actor who looked up at the camera. But I couldn't help but feel like that that particular moment where our POV is broken in a way. And, and I'm a little bit discombobulated into thinking who's who. Because we really do see that that washing hands shot later in the film as it appears on TV. So either way, it kind of um, does two different things. So I don't know. I think I have a, a, a particular investment in, in what type of thing he was doing, but also um, what, what uh, and I'm imposing a bit upon him and seeing that I, I could just as easily get obsessed about this kind of process. Well, it's interesting because he does, I mean, he spends two months salary on this camera, right? So he obviously had something in the back of his mind that was itching for this camera. 
Well, I, did, did it just come from having a daughter? Because well, that's the other question. Me of, I mean, did did yeah, he rem- did he buy the camera for the reason that he states, which is to document his daughter's life, or is there this itch in the back of his mind? Like, is this really just an excuse to get this thing? If if my home movies are any indication, my um, my father's interest in having a camera at home was very much about filming the the pre-birth, the birth, and the post-birth portions of my sister and my uh, life. And, of course, those interests taper off with time and with changes in technology, just not feeling to catch up with them. But I um, I, I don't remember a time when, um, like, that I... Well, I remember much more of my, my childhood than I was there to remember, so to speak, because, I mean, I have the VHSs to prove it. And... I can definitely see that instinct. I mean, it's a very relatable one to want to capture those things. And it's hard to imagine. I think as a period piece, we definitely can take for granted what it meant to have a camera. I mean, this is even an era where VHS camcorders were starting to happen and and be more common as a consumer product. But in this particular um, era, era, in this particular country, in this particular time, in this particular small town... Getting an eight millimeter camera that's, yeah. that's silent is the expectation. My my father has footage from the fifties and sixties of his siblings and him that are silent um, eight millimeter footage that he's cobbled together in silent and put music to. Well, it's and clear we that this that guy, yeah, I mean, so. it's clear that this this guy becomes a celebrity. The the plant director, you know, is like, hey, heard you heard you're a big time filmmaker now, so. It's clear that you know it's it, it's a big deal that somebody would have this camera in this town. It becomes a bit yeah. So it seems like he gets sucked into. You can definitely make the case for the the the, the straightforward that he got the camera to be obsessed with filming as a little girl. Yeah. And then as he got sucked into filming that jubilee, it just spiraled from there. Right. Because clearly he hadn't you know shown as much of an interest in in film before that. And um, well, and also she doesn't I, want him to film the daughter anyway so she's kind of pushing him into this public sphere in the first place by preventing him from doing the thing that he originally intended um so will uh we rank these things uh i i think you've pretty much gone through your whole uh your whole kishlovsky i guess you'd put decalogue at the top i assume right I, i feel like i have to um because of what an achievement it is and the fact that I think, I mean, it almost doesn't count because of the fact that it's so yeah. so, so expansive. Um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't really, I wouldn't really feel appropriate ranking three colors at this point. Um, yeah. And but, but so I, this is this is number two for now. This this would be number two. Yeah, this would be number two, and certainly. And double life would be number thirty-five. Well, yeah, it's it's, <laughs> it's 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 an. I had a friend a friend on Letterboxd who I thought had a good review of that movie, and it was sad Amelie. And, uh, and, and I was like, I was like, yeah, it is sad. I mean, and I hate Amelie. So if it's a sad Amelie, I'm probably going to hate it more. So, but I, I mean, here's the thing. I bought the movie on Blu-ray, so I'm going to have to watch it again. I don't give up on something that I buy. So anyway, uh, but yeah, so this is, this, this gets number, uh, number two. All right, Travis. Um, yeah, I mean, if we're going to, we're going within our, our framework, then, uh, I would have to say, still the last place, you know, by no means a horrible film, as I've said before, is The Scar. Um, and then uh, Personnel, and that's because, you know, uh, the way that the 
the film i connect with the film in terms of the backstage craft of uh what it goes into doing productions whether it be theater or uh or filmmaking uh that's a part i enjoy and i connect with and i can uh relate to it uh then the calm which i thought was a huge step forward in terms of uh building a story um i think i was reading somewhere that uh Kishlovsky calls the calm a story about a problem whereas uh camera buff which is my number one for now is uh the story of a person and i kind of like that idea because uh you know if you look at the camera buff and the calm together as a sequence of films you know it's almost like a reverse progression he gets all the way up to this point and then we pick up with that character for that point and he kind of goes back to being uh you know that single character searching for something and uh I find that to be kind of a nice a nice pairing. I think if if these films were ever to be released on their own in some sort of criterion or something, it would be lovely if this was a double feature box set because I think it would be a, a really nice thematic pairing, the two of them. So, yeah, Camera Buff. Camera Buff takes my number one spot. Uh, he really has grown, and his narrative style has moved further away from the documentary feel completely. Whereas the calm still had those moments of fly on the wall, watching as people work and build, uh, this, uh, has removed itself once more. And it's now about someone, uh, making a documentary. So the whole camera work and camera style feels a lot more structured in terms of making sure you feel narrative so that the camera and the documentary that, uh, Philippe makes, uh, have that feeling of documentary, which, uh, I really appreciate. And it's a, it's a really fantastic leap forward. I think, uh, Mark was correct. Mark Herney from our last episode was correct that you just see him progress better and better as we go. Uh, and so I'm looking forward to seeing what uh, the next films and what level he goes to. Matt, what are your uh, ranking? My ranking uh, remains exactly the same as yours. This is my number one. I think uh, you make two good points there. I think this movie is the first one that has none of that, um, you know, I was going to say none of that f narrative fat um, from the earlier films, but I really like those moments. You know, they're the moments that Kieślowski described as the um, the scenes that he had to cut from his documentaries because they didn't mm -hmm. advance the narrative. And so then he just made movies that were all of basically trying to mimic the outtakes from his documentaries where it's just a bunch of people hanging around shooting the shit. Um, those scenes are, are very, you know, they're, they, they have a lot of life and character to them. Um, that said, I think, you know, this is a much tighter movie. It has narrative purpose. Um, it's very focused, as I've mentioned, you know, it's, a, it's very on the nose, but at the same time, I think it's, it, it has enough complexity and it attacks its issues from a number of directions that makes it worthwhile. Um, the other point you make about a Criterion release. Uh, this movie is uh, was available on the Criterion channel and will be on the forthcoming Criterion channel. Um, I would not say The Scar is worthy of a Criterion release, but I think this is certainly deserving of a standalone release. Um, and I think it would. I think The Calm would be a very uh, apt and uh, useful 
supplemental feature on on that disc so uh, get to a criterion because uh that would that would be swell if more people uh checked out this movie because it, it is a really a really solid movie and i i don't think it's um i don't think it's that far off in quality from from blind chance which which they put out on blu-ray so um yeah i i'm i'm very pleased and i'm excited to uh to see what's next um will remmers thank you so much for coming on and talking kishlovsky with us i'm glad you found uh, another one of his movies that you can uh appreciate and sink your teeth into a little bit and uh, i'm even more glad that you uh showed up here to talk with us on this final thank you i'm looking forward to seeing more of his films i i I don't have any deeper regrets in life than the fact that I didn't manage to get the Arrow set of Decalogue and the TV films. <laughs> oh, I know. So, Me I, I feel too. so dumb about it because I said, well, I have it already. Why would I get... I don't want to see his dumb TV movies, but now I feel like I, I sort of do want to see his dumb TV movies. And, <laughs> and especially yeah, this, this I, the calm. I want to, want to get up on this calm train. So maybe Criterion will, will solve the problem for us at some point. Or Arrow would just you know have a useful website and you know or just put these things back and things don't need it scarcity is silly people have to stop deriving value from scarcity i think that would be um, a very useful exercise but thank Amen. you very much for having me I, it's it's it was a blast to watch camera buff with you camera buffs oh i'm glad you think uh christoph kieslowski is the bees kneeslowski nope oh god Yes, come on. Oh, do you regret I coming I did. on now? <laughs> do you remember, I didn't even say Shushtoff, remember, remember when I said Titslowski? That's what I was going off of. That's what I was going off of. That's a good one, right? You know, when this episode's over, we're going to do an hour of Kieslowski puns and play on names. But we're going to save that for the when we hit stop on the recording so that we have listeners for the next episode... Uh, and they won't drop off. And that next episode is going to be on Short Working Day, which is the last movie uh, in the uh, in this Kieślowski season that I know absolutely nothing about. Do you know anything about this movie, Travis? This is speaking of the Arrow set. It is uh, it is a, a TV movie, and it's only available in that Arrow set. All I know about it that it's about working day and that it's short. Well, the day is short. I don't know about the movie. I haven't. I have. Uh, hopefully, it's not War and Peace type thing because I already have one of those that I'm gonna have to check off a list. No, that's gonna be a long one too. <laughs> uh, before we go, I just want to give a couple of shout outs. I want to thank uh, Cole and Erica from the Magic Lantern podcast. They spoke very highly of our show and very kindly and yes. I really appreciate that and I want to give that love right back to them. Their show is the if you're listening to our show, I don't know why you don't just stop and go listen to their <laughs> show. Their show is magical. It is fantastic to listen to two people who truly love film and love talking about film with each other. It elevates everything that they talk about and makes me want to be a better film watcher yes. every time I listen to and them. podcaster and, I, <laughs> and podcaster they they have a truly unique and wonderful show and I wish 
and I hope that more people discover the cabin of quality they have built into the podcast woods because it is worth a visit, and uh, I really want to thank them for uh, taking the time to mention us and uh, mention the that we are on the uh, 25th Frame Media Network as well, um, always posting and, and pointing out them, and that will uh, compose some music for uh, film silently, which is fantastic. I oh, love that's, hearing that's that song. Oh, that's a fib. That's a fib. That's a fib. Well, okay, so what happened? Let's hear. Let's hear this the is, true story is, then, because I've heard okay, lots so, of thank yous for you about this. Well, there's the one thank you, but it gets posted every time the episode gets posted. <laughs> um, no, it's I did an arrangement of um, of an old public domain song that is of, ah. of, of the twenties. Uh, that Fritzy found is called "I'm a Jazz Vampire," and um, and I did a few different versions of it for her, and she went with the one where it's uh, me playing. It's, just, it's really just my my piano performance of a pre-existing song, is what it appears on movies silently. So I'm very very well, very honored it is to be fantastic. there. Well, there's a whole bunch of outtakes. I don't know if she'll end up using any of them, but if not, you can you can get all the full. There's even a version that I sang on. I sang "Jazz Vampire," so. If you want the outtakes, I guess because it's movie silently, she opted for the one without the singing, which uh, which checks uh-huh. out. Um, but I, you know, it, it's singing and recording. It didn't take me that much well, time. It was it was a blast. So so thanks thanks everyone at the twenty fifth frame. What a good frame that that is that and that I'm a part of sometimes. It's the best frame, yeah. And Cole, Cole and Erica will 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 show up again on this uh, this season. So we're excited to have them. They do in one hour what we we only dream of doing in two and a half so yeah this was longer uh, than the movie which, which like <laughs> well, usually happens it, but i yeah. wasn't expect. i thought this would be an hour but that's fine i mean i thought that this was very 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 thorough and worthwhile but does that mean <laughs> we that do not you, get in and get out like when you, when that's you, not when the you kind add of cole and erica to your episode does that mean it gets twice as short because they're there to speed you up or does i always thought just, that they had like impeccable editing that they worked on really hard but no they come in with fully formed ideas and they get in yes. they get out and uh it it's not it, it doesn't make me feel good let's just put it that way <laughs> it, it makes me feel like i talk with a mouthful of marbles yeah. <laughs> is what they do and it's it's lovely all right well uh until uh short working day uh that's i guess, that's I we're, guess done. we're complete for another week 25th 